This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, Pete Caputa interviews Doug Davidoff, CEO of Lyft Enablement, to learn how he grew revenue by 3x by going after bigger contracts from bigger companies. You'll learn how he tripled revenue growth of his services company with only doubling headcount, how he managed the transition to targeting bigger contracts, how he manages his sales process, and a ton more. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Metrics and Chill. I am Pete Caputa, CEO here at Databox. And today I have a lovely guest, Doug Davidoff, the CEO of Lyft Enablement. Uh, Doug and I go back, really going to date ourselves, maybe 15, 12, 12 years at least. Uh, yeah, 20 yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've thrown yeah, a few beers years back at a lot of a lot of inbound conferences doug's a early hubspot partner was a started out in sales uh sales enablement sales consulting moved into marketing services now uh we'll talk about what he's doing now but but been around the block doing sales and marketing helping companies improve their sales and marketing for for uh way more than a decade at this point uh and today uh we're going to dive into a bit about his business and how he's grown it He's actually going to very transparently share his performance as it, as it compares to 62 or 61 other HubSpot Platinum and above partners. You are, what what tier are you these days, Doug? Yeah, we're, elite. we're elite. What's that? Yeah, we're elite. elite. We're elite tier. Yeah, so, so you better, your members better be better than this group. But yeah, HubSpot elite partner. Uh, and then we're going to talk a bit about like how he thinks about these numbers, how he manages to the numbers uh, or doesn't manage to the numbers in some cases and how he grew the business from where he was a few years ago, around a million dollars in annual revenue to around yep. three and a half, a little over three and a half million in revenue and a team of about 10 to about 21. So that's really yep. nice growth, not just in revenue, but also I presume in margins going just doubling the team size. But um, but almost three or three and a half xing the revenue. So we're going to dive into that today. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing great. I do have to give you credit. I think this is uh, the first time I've been introduced as lovely. Um, so <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that to everyone else to to make their determination. Yeah. But it was, was it was nice was to it hear. Your, it. it was nice to hear. It. Was it was it your son that chimed in on LinkedIn and said, "I can't wait yes. to hear the that's when these two always go at it." Yes. Um, yes. So yeah. Yes. Doug and I usually have an argument, or a, I'd say more of a debate over a beer every inbound or every time we see each other. No matter what it is, we manage to debate because Doug was actually on the debate team in was a high school or college. College. Uh, college. Yeah. College. So you you love a good debate. Um, so, anyways, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. No, I think, we'll I think the one. debate came before the de before I was on the debate team. I think my my uh, proclivity to debate. So, and <laughs> you may not have been on the debate team, but but yeah. you enjoy it as well, sir. <laughs> I don't know if I enjoy it, uh, but I it's a good mental exercise for sure. For sure, I learn things through debating. So, even though I may not always enjoy the process, I uh, I know that I'm, I'm learning. So, you've uh, certainly. Uh, opened my eyes to different perspectives over the years. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's dive in. Um, you have grown the business, as I mentioned earlier, quite a bit over the last yep. few years. What would you say that's like one big thing that you did, um, or you know, if it's more than one, but one of the big things that you did that enabled you to grow and grow without you know a compensatory increase in team size? You grew the team, but not anywhere near as amount of revenue you grew. Yeah, I think that um, I used to be I used to be able to answer the you know where are you going to be in five years? What's the plan? How are you going to get there? Um, I, man, I could answer those questions better, I think, than anybody that 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 existed. Um, it just <clears> never <throat> seemed like whatever I laid out where we were going to be in three to five years, it was very clear. Um, we never seemed to get there in 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 those three to five years, and and I remember it was actually. Um, I was actually a bit distraught at one point. It, it, it was, you know, because we had gone, you know, we kept bouncing. We'd get a little bit above a million. I think we got up at one point to about a million, 1.75, and then kind of hit, I refer to it as a ceiling of complexity, kind of got knocked back under a million. Um, and I just finally said, blanket, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do today 
what what makes sense. Um, and and then from that, I used to coach college baseball, as I know you know well, because I've told you it like 150 times. Uh, but you know, one of the, one of the things I, w- I worked with the hitters on the team primarily, and and what I always talked about was you know have a good at bat. Like that's the objective. Have a good at bat. Do not get into the batter's box thinking I need a hit or I'm going to get a hit. Just yeah. I'm going to have a good at bat. Um, poker right. players, they want to play a good hand. Um, and so I started yeah. moving to that and I started I, I thinking about. I, I used when I coach soccer, I always it, like, I see a kid's distraught and distracted or whatever. Else, and I think it's a similar. I'll say, what's the most important play of the game? And they'd usually look at me like, I don't know. It's like the shot or the, you know. I'm like, no, it's the next one. <laughs> so yes. Just focus on the play, right? Stop stressing about the score. Stop stressing about your mistake. Yeah, just focus on the next play. Anyways, I, I'm sorry. I have, to, I, I have to share this story, Pete, because you just made um, – so when my son played youth soccer, I was, I was coaching the team before he started playing uh, baseball exclusively, and there was one kid on the team. He was actually pretty athletic. He always mm-hmm. wanted to play goal. But the problem was every time he was in goal, whether it was practice or a game, if someone scored a goal, he would cry. Like he would literally cry. And and I finally said yeah. to him, I said, Keith, Keith, I can't, I can't tell you in your life, whether you're going to grow up to be a good goalie or a bad goalie. I, I don't know. The right. only thing I can tell you is if you're going to play goalie, you're going to give yeah. up goals. So <laughs> like you, you, you need to be okay with that if you're going to play goalie. Right. right. Um, exactly. You know, now they call that Ted, Ted Lasso. That's be a goldfish, right? That's where, um, yeah. Right. You know, all, all, all that exactly. plays into so you know that that was really the 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 big difference. I mean, I used to obsess about the the numbers. I've always been very data oriented and mm-hmm. um, you know competitive to to an unhealthy level. So you know, how are we doing? How are they doing? What's going? On? And I finally you know said, you know what? I, I it's when I took a step back and let go of that a little bit and started thinking about are we moving in the right direction? Do we want to know where we're going? Because candidly, Pete, if you had asked me four years ago, what would we be doing to get mm-hmm. like, and I look at what we're doing right now. The work. There's no way in the world. Yeah. For work. Yeah. There's yeah. no way in the world that, that, that I would have predicted that we were generate that we would generate the revenue from the areas we generate the revenue yeah. from, um, well, you know, that for, kind of let me take advantage. helpful if you were to explain what is the predominant amount, what is, what is the type of work that you do nowadays? So, so the driver for, for our business right now is CRM implementations. Um, so, so we've actually built a really strong reputation um, around the technical back end. We've always been really strong on, on the business process and the front end the, and those types of things. Yep. Um, you know, we, we, got, we started doing CRM implementations totally by accident. Um, yep. We needed to do something because we couldn't get done what we wanted to get done. And um, we started getting, you know, we started seeing the impact that that had. And, you know, I think if I had been as focused as I used to be, um, I don't think we would have, like, I don't, I, I don't even want to call it a pivot mm-hmm. because it was just a very natural, um, you know, input, see what happens, make an adjustment, see what happens, make an adjustment, see what happens. And, um, and, you know, the last three years have been, you know, pretty, you know, all things considered have been very good. Uh, been consistent, been, um, you know, I love the fact when that you we've, you know, tripled the team for twice the, for twice the team size I and mean, tri- tripled the revenue yeah. for twice the team. Right. Right. Triple double. We'll call it a triple double from now on. Um, baseball reference. So for those of you who don't watch baseball, uh, you, you said that you were doing things and then you realized that you needed to kind of do CRM implementation because the things that you were doing maybe were being, weren't producing because the CRM wasn't in order? Is that, what, is that where you were trying to go with that? So so we were working with companies on on sales process and sales structure and, and how to really bridge marketing to sales so that they were really reinforcing. Um, yep. And we could never get the technology on the back end to do what it needed to do. And I mean, we used to bring in, you know, a company either had somebody that they worked with on this or we would bring somebody in and we just found mm-hmm. that... Um, it wasn't working. And you know, the other thing that happened too, is I think the tech and the connectedness of the tech took a big step up as well. So like, I don't sure. think we could have done what we're doing today, six years ago, five or six years ago. So a lot For of sure. things caught up and, and we were able to, um, 
again, it, like it was no, I'd love to tell you that there was some master stroke of genius that I saw. Right. Oh, here's where the opportunity is. This is where we need to move forward. Um, you know, it, it, no, you it, it wasn't that. No, you attention to what you're seeing every day and you adapt it, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, yeah. using your data and using your observations and just kept mm-hmm. making smart decisions. I think that's, frankly, the way most businesses operate. I think everyone likes to talk about, hey, we set a goal for a vision for five years and a, and a plan for next year. And here's the goals for this year and the quarter and the month. And everybody's got to hit these targets. And like, in reality, that, that doesn't usually it's- happen until you are at scale and you're really operating in a very predictable growth air growth market. So that's, that's hard to do. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the Steve jobs, Stanford university graduation speech where, you know, you, you'll be able to connect the dots in your life. You'll, but you'll only be able to do that from behind. You'll only be able to do that looking back. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, 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 I could create a really good, um, mythology, um, you know, I could create a really good origination story for us, <laughs> right? Right. Um, I'd be lying, but, but it'd be a good story. <laughs> so let's jump over to your performance. And then I want to come back to like, maybe some of the more tactical things that you did in order to do a triple double, right? Grow your revenue by three, mm-hmm. uh, three, one, three X and, and, and grow the team by two. Um, but let's go into the data a little bit. I'm going to bring up, um, the benchmark data. Uh, and so for mm-hmm. those of you who aren't aware, we have um, a free tool that we offer at Databox called Benchmarks. You can go and go to it. It's at benchmarks.databox.com. You can sign up for it for free. You can connect any number of data sources, such as like a HubSpot or Google Analytics or Search Console or any ad platform or social platform. And you can instantly see how your performance compares to companies like yours by industry, company size, company type, like B2B versus B2C versus subscription or e-com, et cetera. Um, and then, then it'll show you how you perform. Um, and I, there's also the ability for our partners to go and create a niche group where they can say, well, I want to do a benchmark group with only these types of companies in there. And they get to decide the exact companies that are in the group. They invite them in or add them in. Um, and so we have partners that have created groups for like, elective medical, um, like cosmetic surgeries. We have a partner that only does large law firms. We have a partner who sells consult sales consulting services, con- coaching services to small business owners who sell. Like that's her primary focus area. And so all these little niches. So I have created a group um, called dog fooding, right? Where you use your own product. I've created a group where it's just HubSpot Platinum Partners and I have 62 of them. I want to say there's like, 600 platinum like diamond elite partners now at hubspot in this hubspot solution program do you know doug i don't I, I, it's high it's high hundreds. that sounds right it's, yeah and so anyways i got maybe 10 percent of them to join here maybe a little more i don't know um and it's a pretty good group like i know who they all are we keep who's in it anonymous unless they're willing to come on the podcast like doug is doug is here uh, actually interviewed Bob Ruffalo from Impact as well in a previous episode. So Doug is, has agreed to be the second guinea pig. Uh, and we're going to go through his data and we're going to interpret it. I have it up on the screen, um, but we're going to try to explain it in words for those of you listening by audio, of course. All right. So Doug, you it looks like you last month, all this is last month data. Last month, you got uh, 3,800, a little over 3,800 sessions to your website based on HubSpot analytics. Um, and so that is 50, you're outperforming 56% of the companies in that group, those 62 other HubSpot partners. I also can see that on your page use per session, so it's a measure of the quality of the traffic, that you actually got 1.79 view, 1.79 page views per session. And the median in that group is actually 1.27. So 50% of the, these 62 companies um, are um, above 1.27 page views per session last month and 50% below. And actually only 25% are above 1.53 page views per session. And you're at 1.79. And so let's say your traffic's above average, right? And your page views per session or the amount of engagement you're getting on your website is way above average. It's in the 92nd percentile. So um, what is it? Did you purposely um, so- try to optimize your site around like, quality of engagement or, or how, how'd you get there? 
so so who's above me? That's just what I want to know on the. I can't tell you because this is anonymous. I could, uh, but we could, uh, we could, we could ask around if you want, but I can't <laughs> tell you. Uh, I'm trying to do the math. I was trying to do the math in my head. I'm thinking it's like roughly four or five people that are. Yeah, yeah. If you do the math, right, sixty-two, and it's eight percent of sixty-two. Yeah, exactly. It's like four people. um, Yeah. So, so you know, there's there's a couple of interesting things um, that that come from looking at this because at at first look, when I see, you know, our traffic numbers in sessions, it actually makes me a little bit sad um, because (laughs) our traffic has, you know, over the last three years, our traffic has has decreased. Um, yeah. What what a benchmark tool like this has done and helped is I'm I'm able to see okay we're not the only ones where that's happening and you've shared some other data yeah. around this etc that that we're able to go okay hey um, I I don't want to freak out um, and, and and by the way yeah. when it, when it, when we talk about visits and things like that I, I've always felt that if you over focus on that that's when it becomes a vanity metric. But yep. using that as kind of a directional element, and then how it connects to other things as a piece. But yeah, but yeah, one one of the things like so our target customer, Pete, and this is something we've been evolving over time. Mm-hmm. But but our ICP identifies a a, a gap, a, a a company in a in a place we call no man's land. No okay. man's land is when a company is too big to be small, but they're too small to be big. Right. And, okay. and and so we've, we've moved up market into this place. Personal, yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, um, you know, so, so one of the elements that, that our customer struggles with is they're, they're bigger than the, the numbers of, of, of in their competitive set, if you will. So if they're out in the blogosphere, et cetera, you're, you're either looking at, you're looking in the, at blogs that tend to be geared to businesses that are smaller or dealing with simpler things, or yep. you're going to places like Harvard Business Review, McKinsey Journals, things like that, where mm-hmm. they're studying, you know, multi-billion dollar big things. And you've got to translate yeah. that. There's not a lot of people that are, that are directing their message, their, their research, their everything to that segment. And so one that, of the things that, we're that, striving to do with our content. Well, mid-market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so we're, 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 we're definitively in that mid market space. So definitely mm-hmm. above small. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so part of our content strategy is we want to be the place that, that our ICP comes and goes, I feel understood here. This is a place where I don't have to translate smaller to me or, you know, smaller up or bigger down. And, and so the, the result of that is that, you're going to look at more content. You're going to spend, you're going to, so you're going to see more views yeah. per session. So, so yep. we look at that and, and we have made the decision that we're willing to sacrifice. As a matter of fact, we're almost striving to sacrifice the session growth for right. page view growth. Yeah. Cause if you want to rank in Google for certain terms related to the things you do, then you have to write for a broad market. Cause that's, what's going to rank. Correct. That's what's going to get links to. That's Correct. what people are going to actually read. Uh, the mass market, right? But so you're mm-hmm. what you're saying is you're you're focused in on that mid market where they don't want the basic stuff. They want the stuff mm-hmm. that's, but they also don't want the overwhelming stuff. So so they want that middle uh, middle market advice, basically. Uh, and that's yeah, that isn't a bigger market because there's less companies there than in the small market, uh, and there's not a lot of money there. So uh, compared to you know at least for one per client, so compared to the big yep. big market, like like you said and- the the and, Harvard and so, Business Review, the Gardeners, those things, yeah. And and so yeah. the 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 way that I look at at sessions as an example is if we started seeing ourselves in the forty fifth to fortieth percentile from yeah. a, from a session perspective, I would yeah. say, you know what, maybe we're overshooting it, right? Maybe we've overshot the the quality. Maybe we've tightened our lens to growing our audience, growing our market. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. But if I started seeing us in the, I mean, you know, if I was in the 80th percentile and I saw my page views per session also going up, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah. But if I started seeing, right. Well, how much, right. how much effort do you guys put into content marketing? You've been doing it forever. So you have a good demand authority. You have a lot of content. I'm sure you have a lot of conversion paths. Like, but what are you guys doing from an ongoing perspective now? So, so we had actually um, pulled a lot back 
because we were kind of in this transition place and actually we were seeing a lot of demand. We're now mm-hmm. in our net. So like we found ourselves in a, in a version of no man's land. We okay. we're, we're now, you know, it's like our growth team and our content team. We've actually added to that significantly okay. over the last three months. So we're back to moving. Hey, let's begin to see these numbers go up. But, but here okay. again, like that page view and, and what we're going to get to next, how long are you on the site? Right. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, we do a lot of videos. We have our podcasts, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Those yeah. are the things that will keep people on the site yeah. longer. Those are the things yeah. that we're really looking for. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like. The first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like, what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah. And we should we should like look at not just page views for session because I think the whoever's listening to this knows their shit is going to be like well improve your page views by session by just putting good calls to action or good links on your content and getting them to somewhere else. But we also see that your average session length is one minute and fifty seven seconds, whereas the median of the group is only forty nine seconds. So you're outperforming ninety seven percent of the companies of the sixty two companies in this group. Also, your bounce rate, which is the number of people that come to your website and leave before doing something else, uh, is. Uh, 77.3%, which on the surface sounds high to people, but the median of the group is actually 83.22%. So you're outperforming 75% of the companies in the group in that metric as well. So I think it's very safe to say that the quality of your traffic is high because mm-hmm. you've written the right content for the right audience. Um, so mm-hmm. I, without even looking at your content, I feel which I have, of course, I, can, I feel very confident that you, you guys have figured that out. You did say something er- earlier that was interesting, and I and I have shared this data publicly, but um, is that in this group uh, there is a, a quite a trend where traffic is dropping, um, and so you're not the only one that maybe took the eye off the ball for a little bit, um, and and now is reinve- uh, reinvesting in it. Um, but we can see here from the sessions that in February of 23, the median of the group they achieved 4.5 thousand sessions. Um, and then the lowest point was June, which was um, which was actually 2.7 thousand sessions. So almost, not quite, but almost half um, yep. of of what it was before. And then July's back up a little at 3.21. But it just, you can see on the screen here, you, you you can see it. But the trend is clearly down, going from February to March to April, a little bit higher in May, a little recovery, but nowhere near back to February timeframe. Back way down in June, a little bit recovery in July. So. So this is a trend I'm seeing and, I, and talking to a lot of the um, people in this group, the HubSpot partners, um, they're, they they feel it. And it wasn't, it's not just since February. In fact, some of them have been feeling it for more than a year. Um, what's your theory on why that's happening? It's because it's not just you, right? It's it's a lot of these agencies. So I, my, my theory is probably threefold. Number one, um, SEO has become less and less, I, I remember I remember my first inbound that I went to and Brian Halligan mm-hmm. said, we can outthink, outsmart, outplay our competition or something like that. And, and SEO yeah. was a, what was a place for that? You know, the nature of, yeah. of how SEO works today, I don't think plays to the same. I think social mm-hmm. used to drive a lot of traffic and, and the algorithms have, have switched to try to keep you actually, you just wrote about this on your LinkedIn post. It's like, Hey, you know yeah. what, if you're writing stuff on LinkedIn and you're, you know, LinkedIn is telling you they're looking for things to keep you on LinkedIn. So you've got to, so I think, I think all those things kind of, kind of come in. I also think that, um, you know, the last three years, people have just gotten overwhelmed. There's just so much noise out there that Mm. I I think that there's, 
I know we're in a transition. Um, and I think the, I think the buy side is also in a transition as this whole, you know, landscape of content and curation, et cetera, is just, um, yeah, things are moving really fast. Yeah, no, it's, I think all those trends are accurate and you, you've, you've, you've been reading my LinkedIn post, so you know, we're on the same page there. Um, definitely seeing search become more competitive. Um, definitely seeing like we've been seeing the social platforms, just trying to keep everybody on the platform and rewarding, rewarding, um, content creators, marketers, whatever businesses, whatever, when you create content that keeps people on the platform as opposed to on, on there. And so I think a lot of, you're just not going to get traffic from, Mm -hmm. from directly from the social sites. If you can build a following on the social sites, then you will ultimately get people checking you out, but it's not going to be a click from your post. Um, it's going to be more of people than maybe Googling but, or opening your URL. So it's definitely see by, those by the way, in the data. Yeah. I, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later. One of the things that I always look at is um, I, I, I kind of refer, refer to it as pulley management. If, if we want to get mm-hmm. this, what are we giving to get that? And, and so we have been, you know, very focused on a move up market for the last four years. Um, yep. and, and that move up market like our key decision makers, our key you know, the people that we need to communicate with, they don't, yep. their online behavior is not the same. So like our, our target customer today is 50 to 500 salespeople. Like our, the companies mm. that we work with as our primary target is 50 to 500. Yep. Um, if you go back, if you go back five years ago, we were five to 25. Right. right. That, that, that's where we were focused. Well, the, the, the sales leader of a five to 25 sales rep company behaves very, very differently than the sales leader of a 50 to 500 company. Sure. Um, and, and, and so that's going to reflect in, right. And, yeah. and so like in, in understanding that, what, what I loved was the bounce rate. Cause as we're yeah. now pushing and we've really settled into the, the market space that we're in, we're, yeah. we're looking for our content to catch up to that. And like you said, 77% sounds like it's a high, and that sounds like a high bounce rate. Right. But when you right, look at right. it comparatively, it also now gives my content team, it gives them some space to experiment. So like if they're, if sure. the bounce rate goes up to 80, 81%, they don't have to freak out about that. Cause, right. cause to some degree, if we're experimenting with content, we're going to miss, right? And, right? and we'll learn a lot right. when we miss, right? Yeah. And, and so uh, yeah. enabling to see that it's not just, oh my God, a bounce rate's gone up. It's now, now, if we see our bounce rate go up to 84% and the average goes to like the 83.2 yeah. goes down to 79, then we go, right. okay, wait, we're missing something. Yeah, right? something so wrong, it, it gives I, us that operational play so that we can mm-hmm. actually work. Yeah. Yeah. One, one other metric here is related is the number of blog posts published. So we have both in the benchmark group here, both the number of total blog posts published in the lifetime of your blog, and then the number of new posts published. And it's actually putting your data aside for a second, the trend is really interesting, right? So the typical agency in the group, partner in the group, whatever, has 178 blog posts published. That's the median number. So 50% above, 50% below. Uh, And then the uh, number of new posts published last month, the median is six. Um, And so if you look at that, like most of the partners in this group have, let's just say, uh, 35 or so months um, of publishing uh, at six a month. Um, meanwhile, uh, so meanwhile, you have 1,540 some blog posts published. Um, last month, you published five. So you're slowing down maybe a little bit. Um and you've been doing it for way longer than 35 months, I know. Um, and so what's interesting there is that like at the rate at which company in this group are blogging, they will absolutely never catch you. It'll take them uh, 15 plus years <laughs> at that rate of six blog posts a month uh, to catch up with the volume of content you created. Now, maybe not all 1,500 of your articles are still relevant these days or ranking or getting traffic or whatever, but... Um, it seems like blogging maybe isn't the mechanism it used to be. And it's certainly not the main focus for many of these agencies in this group, like it was for you in the past. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah. Um, the, you know, we, we, I mean, I used to write at least one blog post a week. Um, more than that. Dude. I now, <laughs> what? Right. It looks like more than that, but yeah. Well, I, I said um, at least, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I did have one period cause you know, the HubSpot data said, um, if you blog three times a week, you'll generate this number of leads. So I said, okay, let's do that. We're going to blog three times a week. Uh, that got a little bit, that got a little bit crazy. Um, yeah. So like we, we've moved a lot of time to like, I mean, the, we, I've moved a tremendous amount of our time to, towards video, towards uh, podcasts, et cetera. Um, you know, another okay. thing that's changed just strategically is, is we've gone from viewing things through the lens of, Hey, we're looking for our website to really attract. But before I started adopting inbound marketing, the yeah. way we got the vast majority of our business was um, I spoke to a lot of places and traveled a lot okay. for that, et cetera, um, which mm -hmm. made the business very, very dependent upon me. Um, we, you know, digital blogs, et cetera, allowed us to continue to grow and sustain. Um, I do very little of that now. But now it's less about what are we doing to get somebody new. Um, it, it's now more about, and I see this, we, we, we're working with our clients on this all the time. I mean, databases are so, I mean, I would, I think back to when I was in sales, if I had databases, the average size of, of small companies today, I would, I, I wouldn't believe it was possible. And, and it cracks me up because I see how much, like I see these databases that are so immensely large and I look at them and I'm like, what are you doing? to take advantage of what's in your database. So, so we've really shifted our focus more on, there are more than enough companies who we know they exist and we know something about them. Let, let's be relevant to them. Yeah, um, right, right, yeah we'll okay. pick up new as we come along, but that's not the focus. Sure. Yeah, I got you. Um, I love the next yeah, few data points. To be the clear, then like the new leads are coming in good for you. You, you, your landing, you have a bunch of landing pages. You get um, 109 landing page views, 17 new leads a month. It looks like are submissions on your landing pages. That means that's not all your leads, of course. Um, and so 17 is right around the median of the group. Um, it's actually you're in the bottom 45 percent. <laughs> um, you could say but that I you're would... in the top 65 percent there, and the median is only but... 19, so two. Yeah, but I would say on that. Yeah. Given the effort that we put towards that, given the new that we put towards that. And by the way, when we see our conversions, more, more yeah. and more of our conversions are from companies or people that are already in our database. So it, 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 so it, so it lowers some of those numbers. And again, that's by yeah. design. But if you look at yep. what were the juice that we're getting for today's squeeze, like those mm -hmm. 1,500 blog posts are, are, I mean, they're still obviously not every one of them, but they're still pumping out visits. They're still pumping out conversions yeah. And, yeah. and we don't have to do anything. People are obviously reading them. Yeah. And it looks like you are you like your email stats. You're outperforming 59% of the companies mm -hmm. in your group for email stats you're out, um, in terms of emails clicked. Um, but let's get to the meat of it. I think one of the things you said <laughs> earlier to me was that the way that you were able to grow revenue, um, faster than your headcount, which is the name of the game for professional services business, um, is by focusing on larger clients and larger deals. So I'm going to review some of that data, then let's dive into like what you did to make that happen. Um, so I see here, uh, uh, start. I'm going to start from kind of the bottom of the funnel. So in terms of deals closed one, uh, you are outperforming 52% of the company last month. But I'm actually going to look at the timeline view of the of the benchmark, so I can see February, March, April, May, June, July benchmarks for you. And it looks like for four out of those uh, six months, you were well above the median of the group. Uh, there were two months, April, May, where your number of deals closed was a little lower. But then when I go over to the deals closed one amount, I can see that there's only one month, April, where you were below the median in terms of the amount of revenue you closed. And then in one month, it looks like you outperformed the whole group. Um, I can't tell if you're in the top 100 for that month, but you're well above the top quartile for March, where it looks like you might have closed a deal close to 400K uh, in, in revenue. Uh, and so it looks like to me, you're, um, you're doing what you said. You, you're, you, 
you're closing maybe fewer deals at a higher rate over time. I don't have the full three years of data to show, but I trust you you, you interpreted that correctly. But even now, like you're closing the uh, more deals for the most part than the group and closing bigger deals. Uh, I think that's safe to say. And then if yeah. I look at like the number of deals you're creating, you're actually below the median on every the, uh, the on every single month. So you're below in terms of the number of deals created, but you're higher or for most months, higher in terms of deals closed and, and close on amount. So I can verify independently here <laughs> that you're closing bigger deals than the rest of the group is, uh, you know, the median of the group is. You're also, by the way, um, doing it, um, let's see, doing it with fewer meetings. So fewer meetings, fewer deals, um, and higher deal volume, higher deal amount. But I'll also add that you're taking longer to close the deals. Your average time to close is quite a bit higher than even the top quartile in most months. In some months, uh, you're up at 115 days, whereas the median of the group is closer to 55 days. So almost double your sales cycle is almost double in some cases. So taken all together, uh, I'll recap and then I'll let you talk. You're taking less meetings, creating less deals, closing more deals than the typical company. So your sales, like, your sales close rate is probably higher than the rest of the group, Like although I don't have that calculated in front of me. You're also closing bigger deals for sure, and they're taking a lot longer. Um, and so, which is natural, right? Bigger deals are going to take longer. You're upstream maybe than these others, but at least bigger deals require more consideration. So it can take a little bit longer. So you've done that purposefully over the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like you set a goal to do it, like we talked about earlier, but you've been observing what the opportunities are in in evolving your services uh, and uh, and sell and approaching and trying to serve, you know, close and serve these larger clients on these CRM implementations. So talk to me about these numbers. What do you think? So I think they adequately display my philosophy to life, which is strategic <laughs> laziness. <laughs> okay. I like it. That's how I describe you to somebody, P. That 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 I think you're strategically lazy. I think that's what <laughs> led to the creation of the HubSpot partner program. Right? You you looked at it and you said, "Wait, I I met this guy Paul and he knows lots of people who need this. I could uh -huh. let him sell it or I could go ahead and have 15 direct sales cycles and try to manage that." I think you kind of figured that yeah. out and said, "Yeah, I'll let Paul do the work." Um yeah. So Yes. You, you, you pretty much my philosophy is like uh, collaborate with other people on win-win situations in ways that enable me to either be more successful or Correct. work less for, for the same result. Yes, that is pretty exactly. much my, uh, exactly. pretty much that's and, capitalism. But yeah, and, I try to do it in a win-win. <laughs> and I've always tipped my cap. I've always tipped my cap on yeah, your yeah. on your effectiveness there. Um, yeah, so so it, it it's by design. Um the, the, there are a couple things that are interesting. Our, our sales cycle is actually longer than it looks um, in mm -hmm. the benchmark because we actually have two pipelines. We have a okay. pipeline that we're tracking on before we consider it an actual sales qualified lead. It's our development okay. pipeline. Um, I like that. We are, um, uh, by the way, I have, and this is based on experience, but I have a hypothesis that one of the big issues around, excuse me, deal management is that most organizations, most people enter their deals later in the process than they should. So you get, you misread a lot of opportunities because those early conversations never show up as a potential deal. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, if our sales cycle were lower than the average, that would, that would bring into question my hypothesis or something else. So right off the bat, because we pride ourselves on, on, you know, we have defined criteria. We actually never create a deal manually or move a deal card manually. It's all based on the underlying profile of what's happening. The deal gets oh, wow. auto created, That's the awesome. deal gets auto managed. So there's, so again, so if you, if you took so a example, look at our numbers, there'll be fields on your deal record on like the qualification level or something like that. Correct. And that it, Correct. It, until it, once it hits that qualification level, it moves to the next stage, but it can't Correct. actually be moved manually. So you're saying, I love Correct. that. That's such. So, that's like, that's the holy grail. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone actually pulling it off. <laughs> and, it sounds unusual. I'm guessing you've helped your clients. Some of your clients do that yes. too. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. And, and, and so like one nice thing about it is if I look at my deal pipeline for the last four years, objectively, mm-hmm. it, it's not pipeline by opinion. It's like this is, you know, we're comparing same to same to same, mm-hmm. um, which which is very helpful. Um, so the the other thing is um, if you so, yes, larger deals take longer chrono- chronologically. Mm-hmm. But as you see with the fewer meetings, I've always said my limiting factor isn't the number of days in a year. My limiting factor, the thing that drives my costs is how many people, how much time is taken to do something. So we could look at it and say my deals take twice as long, but they don't really take twice as long. They take less time. Yeah, it's not maybe not half the time, but it was your call volume was quite a bit lower than than the median. So so yeah, it's safe to say that you're spending less time with a prospect um, mm-hmm. before they buy, even though mm-hmm. that may be over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, the first conversation to last. If, if there was a, a flash of insight that I had that led to our success over the last three to five years, it is that I looked at our pricing and I said, there is no way we're going to be able to do what we want to do the way we want to do it. Um, at the price point that we're at because we were geared to too small of a company, right? Mm -hmm. So we weren't charging enough, but to them it was a lot. And if I took a look at total value, lifetime, et cetera, consistency that we wanted, I knew we had to increase those numbers, which meant we had to solve bigger problems, which meant we had to find our way into those bigger paths. And we have have, um, purposefully, and if you take a look at our plan going out, you'll see that that as a percentage of growth, the number of opportunities that we generate decreases or, or grows at a much lower rate than the value of what we're winning grows. So, so we are specifically geared to generate on a relative basis, fewer opportunities at mm-hmm. higher value. So are you measuring like your close rate by dollars let me explain that before you answer so that other people understand so whenever you create a deal most sales teams sales people will estimate the how much that deal is worth so like if they think they're going to close a thousand dollar contract they'll put it at a thousand if they think it's a twenty thousand dollar contract they'll close it they'll put it at twenty thousand of course that goes through the deal funnel and gets lost or won at some point hopefully um and so uh, and if you had a deal for say a thousand dollars and you lost it, who cares if you had it also had a deal for 10,000 and you won it. Right. And so are you actually measuring like the fact that you won 10 out of $11,000 that was in your funnel? Is that what you're measuring? Yeah, we, yeah. So, so we measure, we measure both. We call it the end, the end factor number. What's our win rate based on the number of opportunities. Yeah. But then what we really pay attention to is what's our win rate on the dollar value of those opportunities. Okay, and, got it. And and we always want to make sure, like we want our dollar weighted win rate to always be above our number weighted. And, mm-hmm. and by target, we want it to be 25%. Our, so our win rate dollar weighted yeah. should be at okay. least 25% higher than our win oh, wow. rate on on number rated. So yeah. we're going to sacrifice so a smaller small deal. large. In some ways, a smaller deal is like less qualified for you. Like you're going to probably pursue it less if you have choice between that and and another deal. Correct. That's weird. To, to, yeah. to be completely transparent the way I refer to it, and I we work with our clients on this same concept, the, mm-hmm. our, our market falls into two groups, right? The core, those are the people that we want to sell to. We are going to, if you fit our ICP, you know me, Pete. We're, yeah. we are not going to give up. We are going to throw our best shot. We're going to keep throwing our best shot. That's who we sell to. Yeah. That That's yeah. who we adjust for. And then there's a broader group that we are more than happy to have them buy. We're more okay. than happy to work with them. We're more than happy to serve them. Right. We yeah. want, if, if they do buy from us, they matter. It's not like, Oh, they're a small deal. <laughs> like once you're in, we don't tier customers. Once you're in, you're treated equally. It's, it's more, yeah. it's more event running right. process. I got it. Right? Yeah. But, but, but if you're a smaller deal, it's like, Hey, if we fit for you, let's work together. Yeah. If you're right. not sure, right. Yeah. Well, not then so it's going to be for both of us and let's, it's maybe yeah. it's not worth it. Yep. For, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Awesome. Yep. I think that's where we wanted to get to. It's like, uh, really appreciate Doug, you 
uh, transparently sharing your metrics. I think that's going to be so helpful for a lot of people. Um, the response I got when interviewing Bob Ruffalo was that like, more, it was more jealousy than anything because Impact has ridiculous marketing stats um, and they're much bigger than most HubSpot partners uh, size-wise. Uh, and so I think this is, you're, you're above average, you're above median in most of these metrics, um, but you also did that in a very thoughtful way where you saw the market heading, you saw a market creating basically, being created where you could move upstream and do these CRM implementations uh, and and increase the, your deal sizes, uh, and uh, and increase ultimately your margins as a as a service provider. So and, thank you for and, sharing and, the story. Yeah, I just want to uh, kind of summarize it, and, I, and I'm not going to lie. When when this first came up, and I knew Bob was the first one, and and he shared mm-hmm. his data, I'm not going to lie. I was a bit intimidated of okay, like I was hoping maybe I'd be the third or fourth after him, but 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 we're fine. It's been a little uh, while. People forget. I know, I know, and 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 look, I mean. Bob runs a great shop over there. I mean, the impact sure. I'm, I've been impressed with them for as long as I've known who HubSpot is. Yeah. But I also think, and you know us both well, you, uh, you would most likely be the first person to say, yes, they're both HubSpot partners. Um, that's where most of the commonality, like yeah, we're right not playing there. their yeah. game. Right. No, not right? at all. It's very different games. And, yeah. Well, I think and, that's what HubSpot's platform's gotten so broad. Uh, and so they're, you're not the only one doing what you're doing. You're one of the first ones that did, are, started doing this stuff, but you're not the only one. Um, but yeah, there's so many different flavors of, and, uh, of HubSpot Solutions partners now. So and, um, yeah. and even the ones that are doing similar things to what we're doing, mm-hmm. they're playing their game. We're playing our game. So one of the things yeah, that, that yeah. one of the things that, that we do, because um, I do care about numbers, is to really align what are the numbers that you're tracking and what are you looking for? What's the hypothesis? That, by the way, that's the real value of the number is yep. not what the number says, but it's direction. And how does it compare to what your hypothesis was that's connected yep. to the game that you're playing? Because if I tried to play Bob's game, he would kick my butt every day of the week, twice on Sunday. <laughs> I like to yeah. think that if he were to try to play my game, yeah, it would be reverse. No, I agree. I, you guys, like, I know you all, I know you both well. I know what your strengths are. And yeah, he couldn't do what you do. He might be able to hire someone you could do, and you may be able to hire someone he does, does stuff that he does. But, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a different, different set of strengths and yep. skills. And, and, and being aware and being able to pick the right things to focus on is, is the battle. Um, I have uh, three quick questions that uh, Jeremiah, our usual podcast host, asked at the end of the, uh, of the podcast. I'm going to ask these questions for those listening. Doug has no idea what I'm going to ask him. So um, these are off the cuff. All right. You, re- you ready for this? They're I not am. that hard. All right. Uh, three metrics that you were, if you were on a desert Island uh, and you could only see how three metrics from your visit business to know how things were going. Um, what would those three metrics be? Meaningful conversations. Okay. We have a very specific definition for meaningful conversations. And by the way, um, that's actually all I would need. Oh, um, wow. The second one, since you went three, the second one would be um, dollar weighted win rate. Yep. The one we we're talking about. And the third one would be average. Um, we have a metric called target completion date. Um, okay. Average changes to target completion date. Target so the closer that number like is to one. The work you're doing for clients? Yes. Yes. Okay. So like, did you estimate how much effort and the timeline are accurately Correct. or not, basically? Correct. Are you delivering what you said you would when you said you would do it? Correct. Which is awesome. Yep. Cool. I love those three. All right. Next question. It's a fill in the blank. Um, data is? Everything. <laughs> okay. You want to elaborate? Data is life. Data is data life. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, data is, you know what, I, data is raw material. Mm. So, so it's it's more what you do with the data than than the data itself. But for sure, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I love data. So I, it's, mm. yeah. By the way, I, I think the danger is I have to say this: we confuse data only as a number, only as a quantitative element. There, there are mm-hmm. qualitative data points as well, and I think that you know being the baseball guy that I am where baseball got lost for a little while was it became all quote unquote advanced analytics. 
right? Moneyball. Right. And so, what, yeah. Um, and so what we have, well, see, no, Moneyball actually is not is not the same thing. So Moneyball comes from Bill James, Bill James, right. who started the Saber Matrix. Bill Bill James is anti Cyber Matrix, and what he said, great interview okay. with Michael Lewis on this, the guy who wrote Moneyball, is mm -hmm. data is valuable when it's used to support thinking. The problem is that it's being used more frequently to replace thinking. So things oh. like the player rating, he is anti-player rating because his point, mm. and I agree with him, is data doesn't tell you what's right or wrong. Data right. gives you things to, data enables you to ask better questions. When you right. use or data to give yeah, you the yeah, answer, yeah. that's where you get right. in trouble. Got it. All right, um, last one. Um, number one tip for um, B2B companies, which is what you pretty much exclusively work with, I think, uh, to drive predictable performance. Have a hypothesis. Have a hypothesis. Okay. Hypothesis, then act, compare. So you, you establish hypothesis, you take action, you get a result, mm -hmm. compare that to how your hypothesis and then learn. Yeah. So start at hypothesis and action. Don't start at learn. Don't start at buy-in. Mm -hmm. Do something. Look at what happened. How did it work compared? And by the way, when it outperforms what your expectations are, that mm -hmm. is every bit as wrong as when it underperforms, right? Okay. We have a tendency that we only look at our data when it underperforms our expectations. And when it outperforms our expectations, we celebrate. Right, if you right. want predictability, they're both off. You learn yeah, from yeah. both of them. Cool. All right, Doug, this has been uh, a fun time. We didn't really have any debates. We seem to agree on everything. I'll find something happened. next time. We're getting, maybe we're getting old. I don't know. We'll talk. You know what? Next time we'll talk about verticals. Next time we'll talk about verticals. I know we'll debate that one. Uh, all righty. Well, again, thanks again, Doug. Thank I you, will, Pete. Uh, I will talk to you. I'll see you, see you at Inbound, I guess. We'll talk to you. See you at Inbound. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.